1: Brought to you by the Where to Hunt podcast. It's
0: tactical talk with real hunters getting it done across the nation. Hey everybody, Eric Clark here with the Where to Hunt podcast. We're uh, doing another tactic talk and today with us online is Sam Ubel with Chase Nation. What's up, Sam?
1: Hey, man. How you doing?
0: Doing good. Let's get into it. We wanted to talk about some early season stuff, but really uh, take a lens towards preparation. And you have a good list, I think, that you can cover here.
1: Yeah, um, it's been top of the mind for us, obviously, throughout the summer. Um, and it is every year leading into the season. Um, but, yeah, as far as season prep, man, I mean... You know we're we're not only retracing steps on ground that we've hunted before but we're also laying down leather on on new ground um, trying to scout out new pieces spending a lot of time in the truck driving around you know i'm a family man so i got my kids and my wife in the car a lot in the evenings but we'll drive around the countryside and areas where i can hunt um and and we'll look for deer feeding out into the fields as they're doing most of the summer you know a lot of guys kinda, Get stuck in that groove of uh, looking over properties that they hunt specifically and maybe don't spend a lot of time driving around the neighboring areas, even, you know, a country mile around there. Um, But I do, and I I find it pretty useful. I tend to see a lot of the deer that I've witnessed over the summertime, you know, could be one or two miles away, frequenting the property I'm hunting uh, come season. So, Between that and, um, you know, tucking in, nesting ourselves up on the edge of the field line or, you know, field edges and and fence rows, uh, glassing and filming these deer come out in velvet some evenings. Um, We're also getting out and putting our cameras out and moving them around and, you know, trying to wrap that up because we'll tend to pull most of our cameras um, by the end of summer, usually around this time or the next couple of weeks. Uh, Just to let the woods lay low a little bit before hunting season comes around. And then we're also prepping trees, um, you know, finishing touches, tying in food plots, that kind of thing.
0: So you're kind of taking like a holistic approach, zooming out a bit to get a big picture and then bring that back in and kind of going close to to get eyes on. I mean, that's just got to get the blood boiling too and get you super excited to get eyes on some of those animals um, close up and far away.
1: Yeah, I mean, geez, it was just uh, two nights ago, we were out in um, an area close to where, uh, you know, one of my right hand man uh, lives, um, Dave Bechtel, and he's with his wife, and I'm uh, fortunate enough to be invited out there to share it with him. It's not a very big piece, 65 acres, but it's Tamarack Swamp, and it's surrounded by a lot of egg and uh, small woodlots, and about a mile away from there, um, the kids and I and my wife pulled over uh, to take some photos on the cell phone just to send to Dave as a teaser, like, hey, man, look what's right around the corner, and here was this, like, double brow tine, split buck that, you know, uh, who knows what he's going to look like once he sheds his velvet, but he's definitely going to be sitting pretty in the mid to upper what, 40s, um, come hard horn. Right now, you know, he kind of looks like a mid to upper 150s, but, you know, he's going to lose <laughs> a lot of that, you know, when he sheds. Yes. But that was enough just to get him all fired up. And he sent me that drooling face, you know, that emoji. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's great. So what Like, what are some of the, like, okay, so it sounds like you're even targeting specific bucks. Um, you're deploying trail cams, you're glassing, you're getting spotters out, you're doing some filming, um you're looking at the lay of the land. How are you starting to break that down from a tactical perspective? You talk about like, cutting limbs and things like that. And just what does that preparation look like for you guys at Chase Nation?
1: Sure. So, a uh, couple of the pieces that, you know, we've hunted before, um and I'm talking small acre private here as far as limb cutting goes. Not to be confused with public. Um, you know, breaking down um our approach leading into the season here, especially when it comes to limb cutting. Um where we've had stands before, or you know, places we've observed movement from other stand locations. A lot, pretty much all of us are, you know, flying by the seat of our pants, running and gunning. Um, so we're 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 sitting the same tree, you know, two or three times at tops. Sometimes once, and then we're pulling the stand and moving just to keep the deer guessing. And a lot of times, um, you know, if so, we've got a small lease in the center part of the state, and we're residing in the southeastern part of the state. So it, good hour and 45 to get to one of one of the spots that we hunt and um you know what that means is we can't hunt there frequently so you could fly out there and you've got a day or two to hunt and you observe and you can move your stand from morning to evening or whatever but you know say you don't have the next day to go back on them but you log that information and then you carry it on to the next year or to the next time you visit the property and uh and you can kind of set up on it if it makes sense and so that's kind of what we're doing is okay, well, we've, we've observed movement around this area, or we've sat here before and had good action. um, And and there's a reason behind it, like it's a bottleneck or a a hard transition, that kind of a thing. Um, And then we'll, we'll get up and we'll cut limbs, you know, we'll bring sticks along, sometimes a stand, or if it's the right kind of tree, you know, we'll just climb limbs and we'll get up there and, and we'll knock some branches down just to make sure that, say we get in there uh, with a stand on our backs, we know that those trees are prepped for shooting and, uh, and we can sneak up in there quietly without having to do all that preparation from the tree during the hunt. Um, so that's kind of the, the method and madness behind the limb cutting. And as far as, you know, targeting specific bucks, I, I, I guess I could argue it both ways. I, I hate to say that I target a specific buck, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't. Um, maybe you have like, running... a, you have
0: some in mind that you'd like to see and that you're holding out for maybe. Is that yeah, a better way to say it?
1: I guess that would be kind of the way to say it. You know, I'm running and, and all of us on the team are running cameras. And I mean, I've, I'm running, no, oh, I don't know, 11 cameras throughout the summer. Um, and I've got them spread across three or four properties at a time. And, um, you know, I've got my properties that I, I particularly favor uh that are small acre like private and um and when i say small acre like private i mean like 100 100 acres or less um and, and I, and i know some guys here 100 acres they say that's a lot of land but let me tell you if you're hunting private land and it's a 100 acres or it's a 40 while it is a, quite a bit of you know you know land uh, or ground you can burn that out hot like fast um if you hunt it a lot And I mean, I would say, you know, on a 40 acre piece, you go in there three or four times and you're already now uh, stepping into a world that, you know, has otherwise been left alone. And it's just like if somebody was in your house wearing strong cologne and they escaped right when you were coming in the door, you would know that they were there. The same thing the deer are going to know you were there. They might cross your footsteps after you're long gone, but they're going to know you were there and they're going to be on edge. And so I consider a hundred acres or less small acre. Um, I will say though, uh, if anybody is contesting that, that uh, several of us, including myself, hunt pieces that are down to three acres in size. Um, in fact, one guy, you know, hunts an acre and a half. I mean, he, you have to make a darn good shot. And he's got, you know, ties with the neighbors that'll not let him hunt, but they'll let him retrieve a deer. So, you know, there's always that potential for the deer to get off that piece. But, um, and I'm kind of getting off, off track here, but, you know, there's so many things to say in such little time.
0: <laughs> the challenge but of this, it, but you're doing a good job. You're, you know, it, but, but the I guess the, well. the,
1: the, the main point here is, you know, you're running a lot of cameras and you get these pictures of these great deer. And some of them will, will stick around and some of them will split off and, and move. Uh, they're always gonna be somewhere nearby and they'll frequent the land at some point, maybe not until the rut. Some will stick around during the uh, early season. Some, some won't come around till late season, depends on the lay of the land or the habitat. But as far as targeting a specific deer, so I got one piece here that is uh, uh, 10 acres of hardwoods and then 40 acres of egg. Um, so that's a small piece. Sure, it uh, it's 50 acres, right? But I've only got 10 acres of 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 cover. The rest is wide open alfalfa, and um, when I when I hunt that piece, um, I know it's a thoroughfare. I know it's a it's kind of a bottleneck area, so there's always going to be deer traffic through there, uh, and there's a lot of deer um, going from point A to point B. So I, I have a lot of sightings, but there are three in particular that are substantial um, in size. You know one one has got a drop time off his right main beam and then he's starting one on the left um he's he's just phenomenal and i bet you he'll go 20 wide um in you know just a really unique cool deer there's another one that's just got this massive frame and another one that's super tall another one that's got a flyer off of his uh, main beam um just behind his brow time so i've got these three unique or four unique deer uh living on this piece or spending time on this piece and then i've got a bunch of deer that are average um and when i say average i don't know what average is to everybody else but for me it's what i've got on the wall already you know a bunch of mid 120s to 140 inch class deer um those are great bucks anywhere uh, but you know if you're at that point in your game where you want to up it um these these deer i'm talking about uh are those to shoot to, that'll that'll kind of step your game up you know on a personal level where Those are the ones that I I really hope to encounter, but gosh darn, if, if I'd be lying, if I didn't say that, you know, the excitement still rushes through me when I see any deer, much less a buck. And if he's got 135 inches of antler on his head or 130 inches of antler, I'm still going to get excited. And you just never know if, if all the stars align, I might just send an arrow. I don't really care what people think about the size of the deer that I shoot. It's all personal for me. You know what I mean? It has, to be. So, it has to be whatever
0: gets you, if, if you're super jacked in that moment and, and you have an opportunity take it, um, but dude, you're doing a lot of prep work to ensure that yeah. if something does cross your path, um, that you're in a strong position to take an ethical shot by doing some of that prep work now, laying out those, those cameras, doing the yeah. cutting, doing the film, like getting eyes on everything. You're really taking a, almost like a data driven approach. I mean, you're talking about compounding information from, you know, previous year's seasons and uh, using that intel to carry forward i mean that's you want to talk about preparation that's a that's a long play you know
1: it's super uh it's a it's a huge part of my tactics it's been so from very early on i mean you know i've been writing for a lot of years and i got my writing from uh, my start in writing from a journal my grandpa gave me back when i was like six or seven years old and by then i was just barely learning how to tell the difference between uppercase and lowercase letters by the time I was 10 or 12, I was already starting to take journals or journal, make journal entries. You know, my dad and I would go fishing or we'd go hunting. It didn't matter if it was for squirrels or whatever. You know, a lot of guys, what they do is they write down the temperature, whatever the sky conditions were, and maybe like how many sightings, right? For me, and then a location. For me, it was much more than that. I would write an elaborate story. I would write how the, how the weather felt on my skin. I would write all the details and i still have that journal and i still look back at it today and i smile because not much has changed i still look at my journals i still keep a log and i still use it to my advantage to up my game both with fishing and with hunting year after year and and i would say that it works
0: that's cool the story approach to that is pretty cool it's a little bit more digestible um at least for someone like me you know i'm not reading just dry stats but that's pretty great um, you know we're, we're nearing the the 15 minute mark here any final thoughts as a summation um, for folks that are trying to like you know get it done this year
1: well you know I, I not to not to sit and pimp our channel but if you take Do a it. peek at our YouTube channel or our Facebook page just this morning right when we were getting on the phone I told you I had just got done um, you know I just wrapped up a short two minute uh, it's a hype reel to get everybody pumped for the season And they do a little voiceover narrative. Um, In fact, I recorded it uh, at an early so I might have my morning voice on for it, but the point um, will last forever. And that is um, don't overthink things. You know, if there's one thing I could advise people and I got to remind myself of is don't overthink and don't set yourself up for failure. And what that means is when you start to overcomplicate things by, you know, getting this image in your head of how things should play out, And you set expectations for the season um you're you're dooming you're dooming yourself i mean you might get lucky or things might go your way and great bravo but when they don't and then you feel less of a a sense of accomplishment by the end of the season then you need to take a hard look at at, at why that happened and i've done it so many times that i feel like i've got enough uh, you know credential now to give that sort of advice just don't set yourself up for failure don't take away from the excitement and enjoyment of what brings you out into the woods in the first place and just go out there and enjoy experiences and every single encounter i hate i hate when i have like a deer that isn't the one that you know i saw on trail camera come by and i give him a pass but any other property or on public land i think oh yeah i probably would have killed that deer but I'm not going to do it here because I know there's a couple ones bigger. And then the end of the season comes around. And I still didn't kill that bigger one and I'm left wishing I would have shot the other one. And so the whole excitement and enjoyment of killing a deer, or harvesting a deer for better words um, is lost forever. You still have that appreciation of that encounter in the moment, but you know, don't sell yourself short.